Yo, what's good, Celtics fans? We're going to keep this nice, short, and succinct, mainly because I have traffic to sit in. My boy, Mr. Greg Manakis, has children to educate. I mean, he keeps telling us he does, but he seems to find a way in every time, so you know who knows. And my boy, Mr. Will Weir's back from traveling the globe. He was in Boston, right? Actually, you weren't traveling the globe. You got yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't traveling the globe. Uh, did I went home for a little bit, got to got to go to game one in person, and so not doing that again, sorry, considering man. that's the, the one time the Celtics wanted to play like it was 2021 again was the one time your boy shows up in the building. So I'm, uh, I'm writing Wick a letter from our refund right now because I, I wanted to see the 2022 Celtics. <laughs> oh, man, I just had that. Uh, you ever watch Aerie Spears? Do you know that yeah. guy? Yep, yeah, like, he does like the Shaq impersonations and a few yeah, other ones. Yeah, and he's listening to Jay Z and he's like, "You boys in the building." And I was <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, that's Will Will's every Spears today. <laughs> like before, I mean, we haven't we haven't kicked it in over a week now, man. I've, um, you know, so I think the first things I want to know. I know y'all been doing playbacks. So you want y'all been sharing um with your misery with others. Um, I don't know whether that's selfless or selfish, but either way, you've kind of been projecting that. Um, how how y'all feeling after two games? And I'm saying y'all so I can fit in with your socio. So are, how are we feeling about the series or how are we feeling about how playback's going? No, no, about the series. <laughs> <laughs> Playback plug. Um, I'm feeling pretty good, man. I think after game one, I was super concerned about the, the physicality in the series. Um, the ball pressure, 94 feet. I think I didn't expect... Pat Connaughton, Grayson Allen, Javon Carter to have such an impact guarding the ball um, 94 feet. And I think in game two, we made some nice adjustments um, so that we didn't necessarily have those guys guarding um, the person who's bringing the ball up, right? So we made some nice adjustments there. Drew Holiday really gave gave us a problem in game one. I thought Ime made a great call switching Jalen onto him in game two. Um, now, obviously, Jalen's hamstring is an issue, but in general, I feel like we made the adjustments that we needed to make in game two. Um, such as not overhelping on Giannis, stunting at him more, guarding him in isolation more, trusting Grant to be a brick wall, and uh, that's what Grant was. So I'm feeling pretty good going into Game Three. How about you, Will? I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm the same way. And I, Greg and I talked about this on uh, on our other show, the Six One Seven Podcast. When I was at Game One, I was a little surprised when I left. I wasn't really checking my phone. I wasn't really tweeting or anything like that during the game. And it came out, and it felt like there was a little bit of panic amongst you know amongst Celtic Twitter. And once again, not surprising. I know, Adam, I saw a tweet where you were like, I can already feel the negative vibes coming in from this after one game after what's been such a special run. And it was weird, you know, in the building, like, I'll be real, it didn't feel good. We clearly got hit in the mouth. And I was just wa watching the Celtics never be able to get the momentum to make a comeback and allow the garden to pop the way that I'd seen it on TV and wanted to feel. So, like, yeah, of course, that stunk. But as I was watching the game, it all felt correctable. It all felt, other than the injuries to Marcus Smart and, and you know, wherever Jalen Brown's at, those were the two things I left concern with. But as far as the style of play and what that means for the series, it all felt very correctable when I looked at that, that game one. And so then when you see the way they played game two, and for me, one of the biggest differences was getting shots at the rim, but getting intelligent shots at the rim. It felt like the way that they attacked the rim in game one, they they did so, you know, from a standstill position, one-on-one, -on -one, there was lack of ball movement. I think you saw far more of that in game two and led to a lot of different results, despite also getting, you know, a similar amount of shots in the paint. And then, of course, they knocked down the shots. That's the way the Bucks game plan works. They're going to give you these three-point shots. You have to be able to knock them down. And they did so at a better clip in, in game two. And so I think overall, my mind hasn't changed too much. I think the longer the series goes on, the more the Bucks are going to feel not having a guy of Chris Middleton's caliber. And I think at the end of the day, that 
to me, as long as the Celtics are healthy, which looks like Marcus Smart's coming back for game three. We'll see if, if JB, I mean, there's any, you know, that hamstring is, is uh, you know, it's worrisome just because it's a lingering injury. But if the Celtics can remain relatively healthy, I think at the end of the day, that Chris Middleton injury is going to loom larger and larger the longer the series goes. I think for me, and like, I really like what like you touched on a few points I wanted to, Greg, with the, the stunting and the staying home. So I'm going to avoid those. I've hit on those a few times over the last few episodes. I think the first thing I've took issue with, and, you know, I've heard it on sports talk radio um, because someone apparently said I was Australian and I'm not. <laughs> um, so I went back and listened to that just to see what got said. But, like, the narrative there was the same as what I've seen floating around on YouTube and on podcasts and on so where everyone's like, the Celtics aren't going to shoot, what was it, 61% from free, like they did in game two. And I'm like, no, they're not, but they're also not going to shoot 30% or 20%, whatever they did in game one. We need to find that medium, right? And I think that, as you said, as the series goes on, with Boston being fully healthy and Chris Middleton out of the, like, out of the series, the spacing is going to be more in Boston's favor than what it is in Milwaukee's because... They're not putting Brook Lopez out onto the perimeter at the moment. We haven't really seen him be a three-point threat. Whereas, in my head, that's one of the best ways to open up the floor for Giannis is to pull Brook onto the perimeter. Grayson Allen, as good as he's been in the postseason as a catch-and-shoot guy, I haven't really seen him be... <clears throat> excuse me. I haven't really seen him be too much of a concern. So when I'm looking at it and I'm like, yo, they're just going to match up with Giannis one-to-one, they're going to they're gonna close down on shooters, make sure there's no passing lanes, no catch-and-shoot opportunities. I don't know where Budenholzer can go, Budenholzer can go, that gives them a new op- a new look, a new option. Right, like, they're, they're very built around Giannis Drive, Giannis Draw, like, a bunch of people like the Sun. All gravity comes into Giannis, Giannis kick out. If, 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 if you can get through to the rim, let him get through to the rim because he's a beast. Boston have got ways where they can hurt you, and I do think that the biggest issue that Celtics got at the moment is even in game two, where it was a lot of drive, kick, drive, kick, multiple actions on the same possession, they were still mainly hitting that mid-range and perimeter, and they definitely need to start finding a way to get to the rack more, just to get some easy points on the board and to get that momentum going, especially in the next two games when they're not at home. For sure, and you know, you mentioned what will Budenholzer do to kind of combat what the Celtics had done in game two? I mean, the number that stands out to me is three for 18. I didn't realize that at the time of the game as we were watching it. To go three for 18 in a playoff game from three, that's what the Buck shot. Um, I, I wasn't clear about that. The Buck shot three for 18 in game two. Um, that That's just not going to happen, right? I think the Celtics had something like 23s. So when, when there's that much of a difference between the two teams in terms of the three-point line, which is the great equalizer, I think that the Bucks are going to try to find ways to get more opportunities to get three-point shots. Now, one thing that I did see Budenholzer do, and I saw some Bucks people tweeting about this, was they went to Giannis as a screener a little bit more and put Grant in in drop coverage where he had to fire back to Giannis a little bit earlier than they wanted. But in that case, if you look at the tape of that, the guys that are doing that, it's Wes Matthews, it's Pat Connaughton. It's like if Wes Matthews and Pat Connaughton beat us, then I'm okay with that. And if they beat us from the mid-range, I'm even more okay with that. You know, if they're the ones beating us in the three-point line, it's definitely a little bit worrisome because you don't want to give those guys who are good shooters those opportunities. But when I went back and watched all those possessions that um, the Bucks people were tweeting out when they had Giannis as the screener and they got so many wide-open layups because Grant was firing back to Giannis and didn't want to leave his body, 
if you look on the weak side, the weak side defenders out Horford every time. So it seemed like they're targeting um, Horford in that rover role on the weak side. And I think it's a pretty easy counter for the Celtics when you think about what adjustments will the Celtics um, make to the adjustments that the Bucks make. If they go to that Giannis as a screener, I think having Rob in that weak side rover position is going to erase a lot of what they were able to get in the second half there. Now, maybe the Bucks only go to that when Rob's off the court, but it's definitely something to consider. Um, how much will they go to Giannis as a screener? Because they definitely can't just go to the same game plan of let Giannis create everything. Unfortunately for them, they almost have to do that at this point because Chris Middleton's not playing. And that's kind of the the point that, that Will was making. The, large, the longer this series goes, they're going to feel Chris Middleton's absence. Yeah, and so, you know, with that, I had a very simple thought that it's oversimplistic of a way to view specifically these first two games, but potentially the way this series plays out is that, if JB is better than those guys that you mentioned, Grayson Allen, Wes Matthews, Pat Connaughton, Celtics win, right? Like, I feel like that's, it's a very oversimplified way to look at some of this, but that's the biggest differentiator between these two teams when you remove Chris Middleton is that Jalen Brown piece. Cause right. You think about holiday and smart to a degree, you know, equaling up or, or, or canceling each other out. Giannis and Tatum, they're both in that top, you know, Giannis is the best player in the world. Tatum somewhere in that, you know, he's cracking that top five right now, as we've talked about before. So, you know, you've got kind of these heavyweight battles of people in similar tiers. JP's the one kind of left out there without Middleton, without his sparring partner out there. And so it's, like I said, it's, it's entirely way too simplistic to, to look at it. But JB, one of his worst games we've seen him play in a long time in game one, basically would have had the same amount of points and turnovers if it wasn't for a few late buckets that got him a few more points. We end up with 12 points and seven turnovers. And then you look at him going nuclear in game two. And it wasn't much of a contest. Like there was a game the Celtics, you know, despite, you know, I didn't love the way they closed that game out where they kind of, for a little bit, were just waiting for the clock to run out as opposed to continuing to attack. But other than that, when it felt like they might let the Bucks get back in, they had them at a decent distance the entire game. And part of that is just Jalen Brown elevates the talent level, the top tier talent level of the Celtics versus what the Bucks have and what they're missing. And so, you know, I, like I said, I think it's oversimplistic, but I do think there's a, a certain part of this just comes down to Jalen Brown has to be better than those group of wings that are trying to make up for, for the absence of Chris Middleton. And the problem you've got there is, and I want to touch on what Greg said about Giannis as well. Um, the problem you've got there is with Jalen, and this is no shade at him because I think in the role he played in game two, he, that's the role that gets you the best version of Jalen Brown. But you need to make sure that he continually plays that role and doesn't try to take on too much more of a facilitator or initiator within the offense. Sometimes I feel like even when the team's fully healthy, Jalen likes to try and force the issue sometimes. If he misses his first few shots, I do think he starts to force his looks a little bit. And at that point, he's like his ceiling in in per quarter, like quarter by quarter ceiling. If he's forcing the issue, it drastically falls. Whereas if he comes out, makes his first few shots, he plays in a very specific role, um, you know, utilizes movement, utilizes rip throughs on the catch, and then that's the version of Jalen Brown that's always a, a risk to go nuclear. And if you've got that version of Jalen Brown, I completely agree with what you're saying. He, the Celtics win. But if you have the version of Jalen Brown that's forcing the issue, he might still get you 25 points, but it's going to be an inefficient 25. And he may still be better than the role players that Milwaukee has, but the amount of shots he's taking or the amount of turnovers that come with that production level might mean that Milwaukee still win. So I think it definitely, like as you said, it's a simplistic way of saying it, and I completely concur with the premise. But I would suggest that 
there's a way that Jalen Brown can still be better than those guys, but still be a mitigating factor in, in Boston's chances of success, depending on what type of game he plays. And he's not the only guy that does that. You know, there's a bunch of people we're just using him because that's the discussion point we're having at the moment. Um, with the Giannis thing, I did speak about this on the last podcast. I think the one thing you need to be worried about is overreacting to Giannis on a short roll. That mid-range shot's there for him. It's going to be there for him, especially with guys in drop. He's like a 41% mid-range shooter this season. So he's he definitely has a respectable pull-up jumper off that short roll. But as I said on Wednesday's podcast, I would live with that 40% jump shot rather than the 70, 77% season like on the season rim finishing. You know what I mean? Because when you short roll, and I wrote about this the other day, I think you messaged me actually saying you read it. Uh, thank you for that. Um, when you short roll, you have three options. You're either going to step up to the to the level of the roll, so you, you've got space behind you, and now someone can back cut or come across the baseline or whatever. You're going to stay in drop and you know, live with that mid-range, or you're going to switch and get a mismatch, and then you've got to try and rotate, get the scram, and then there's other mismatches going on on the weak side and blah, blah, blah. If they go to Giannis as a pick as a screen and roll dude, whether it be short roll, whether he starts pressuring the rim as a vertical spacer, you know, for over the top passes to bully his way to the rim. The last thing that you want is for guys to start stepping up out of the paint and going from a deep drop into a shallow drop because Giannis is so big that if somebody's cutting in off the baseline, they're gonna he's gonna spot them, he's gonna be able to hit that pass. And also you would rather live with him shooting mid-ranges all game than get into the rim, or at least I would. If you want to put Giannis in the mid-range and say, let him beat you there, that's where I'm going to I'm gonna live with that all day long because I don't think he's capable of doing it consistently. And he did seem a little bit more willing to take that mid-range shot and to settle for more jump shots in game one, in game two, especially early in game two. But the, the one thing I'd push back on is because of his freak athleticism, when he's in the short roll, he takes one explosive step and that's a lob at the rim or that's like a Euro step around. That's why you don't push up, right? But that's Mm -hmm. why you step, that's why you allow that mid range because then that one short step is hitting that brick wall. For sure. For sure. The problem is when you push up onto that short roll, because that one, he's just going to get you on his hip. He's Mm -hmm. either going to Euro step or he's going to veer step. So you're in jail now. And then he can just explode to the ring unimpeded, which is why the last thing you ever want to do is step up to the level of the short roll. Yeah. And I mean, I think Grant did a great job at, um, you know, kind of taking that away. And, you know, there's that one great clip of him kind of getting Giannis in between steps and brick walling him on that fast break. I, I think the, the the greater point that I'm trying to make, though, is that like sometimes with somebody like Giannis, when you even when you're in the right position, his athleticism comes at you so fast that you might be in the right spot, but he still gets by you, right? And he can still make a play. And that's what makes Giannis Giannis. And that's what the Bucks need from him is even if we're in the right coverages that he's able to finish over it or finish around it or finish through it. And that's what he hasn't been able to do, which has been really surprising to me through two games because I kind of see him do it to every team in the league. Even last year with DeAndre Ayton, right? They kind of left DeAndre Ayton on on an island in the finals and Giannis just went around him, threw him over him. And Ayton's one of the best drop defenders in the league, you know? So that's just something to consider. Um, One one thing, one last point I want to make before I head out of here. Will, you had touched on this, is that we had got such a big lead and in the fourth quarter, we were kind of hanging on, but the lead was so great that it didn't really matter. And that just reminded me of 
the Celtics recipe for success in the second half of the season, especially was to get out to those fast starts and to get up by double digits in the first quarter. And then their defense is so strong that it's really difficult for teams to come back from that. We hadn't really seen that recipe so far in these playoffs. Right. And this was the first time we we really, really got up big on a team. I may, may there may have been one game in the Brooklyn series, but I can't remember. Um, but in, in this series for sure, like getting up on the bucks early, hitting them in the mouth, having Jalen, Brown be the guy who starts the games because we all know Jalen's a fast starter. And if we can hit them in the mouth again early and play with that lead, the Celtics have gotten really good at playing with leads. So I think that without Chris Middleton, if we get up by 10 early in the game, whether it's the first quarter or the second quarter, I think our defense should be enough to kind of hang on. But I, I got to head out of here, guys, because I got a class starting here in like two minutes. But I appreciate <laughs> you guys. The youth of America. Educate the children. Teach I got them you. all about short roll defense. That's the lesson today. I got the clips pulled up already, baby. <laughs> I can send you a bunch. I got a folder full, but if you need them, <laughs> let me know. All, um, right. <laughs> all right, man. See you. Later, dudes. We're going to head to break while I rearrange the background because we're on, obviously, YouTube too when I eventually get around to uploading the backlog. Uh, so we'll be back in a moment. And we're back. The background's updated. You know, we're doing this on the fly. This is what you call exceptional podcasting. I'm joined by just Mr. Will Weir for the second half. Um, I think we've touched on everything that we're, you know, some of the adjustments we're expecting to see more Giannis in the short role, JB being more of an off-ball guy, the same as he was in game two. And when I say off-ball, a lot of people, a, lot, a couple of people kind of made like mention to me like, hey, well, he was still driving the lane. I'm like, yeah, that's that's not what I mean. What I mean is he wasn't really asked to create. And a lot of Jalen's assists in that game came courtesy of penetrating and then hitting a wraparound pass or hitting a last minute kick out. He wasn't looking to initiate an entire offense. That's what I'm saying. When we're looking at like, okay, so we know what we're expecting to see from Milwaukee at this point. As I said, I feel like their options to diversify their offense are quite limited outside of putting Giannis in those pick and roll drops. Boston don't have that um, that restriction on them at the moment, right? You know, um, Chris Forsberg just yesterday or the day before was talking about Grant Williams being the MVP of the playoffs so far. We've heard Jalen um, Taylor Snow with the Celtics tweeted out that Jason Tatum is the most productive wing in the playoffs at the moment, yeah. or productive forward. I've, got, in the I've got those stats pulled up too. Yeah, that was a, that was that was a really impressive stat from uh, from Taylor Snow or, or the information that he was putting out there. So when you look at like the the production level and the high level kind of play that we're seeing from a bunch of these guys, it makes sense that you can diversify what you're doing a little bit more, especially because the offense is so dynamic in multiple ball handlers, multiple play finishers. I'd say multiple floor spaces, but I'd be lying. Um, yeah, it is what it is. You got to tell the truth. Sometimes you got to be a truth sayer, you know? Yeah, it is what it is. You know, I just don't think the floor spacing is there like legitimately. Uh, it's kind of a whoever steps up on the night type of uh, deal there. But outside of the floor space, and I think everything's coming up roses right now, the only thing I really want more of is rim pressure. I just think that, you know, and I said this on Wednesday's podcast. I can't remember where I'd seen it. I'm sure it was on, like, a YouTube clip of, like, Nick Wright or something. And I never agree with these dudes, which is why it's... <laughs> and I said this on Wednesday. I said, look, that's why it sticks in my head so much because I only watch it because I find it funny that they shout at each other so much. But... They even like the one thing they said that I agreed with was Chris Middleton being out actually made the Bucks harder for Boston to break down defensively because now they're forced to be so big, 
Right. Like now you're coming up against Giannis, Brooke and Bobby all in like that starting five. And I think the Celtics' biggest job now is figuring out how to get to the rim consistently and actually get shots off without yeah. getting swiped away. And I think that's the biggest adjustment we need at this point. And I'm trying. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and pull it up as I'm talking. I know I heard it yesterday. Um, I believe I can't remember what which podcast I was listening to, but uh, that lineup then backfired a little bit in it, um, in game two, as the Celtics were able to, as I talked a little bit earlier, just create more ball movement and create more intelligent looks at the rim. Because like I said before, you know, I think game one, especially while I was there in person. It, it felt like, you know, the, the definition of insanity, they kept trying the same thing over and over again that was clearly not working. And so I think with that big lineup, you have to kind of work from the outside and you need to pull them out, create penetration, create cutting lanes, get the ball into the paint, create cutters coming off of your three-point shooting. And then I think you can get some really smart looks at the rim, which is what they did in game two. And I think exposed a little bit of them having that that big lineup out there if they're going to play Portis, Giannis, and Brooke Lopez out there all at the same time. Uh, I know their plus minus collectively was not that great in game two. But, you know, one of the things that I wanted to touch on when you said everything's kind of coming up roses at them was I think one guy that, especially during game two, you kind of looked at and were like, man, you know, and, and we've defended him quite a bit on this show, was Derek White. Was, is he really giving us, you know, enough production, especially when a guy like Marcus Smart goes down and, you know, you have a donut for the, for the game, at least from a scoring perspective. I think he was 0-4 from the field. But I do think it's kind of funny. If you look through two games and, you know, plus minus is a very flawed stat that depending on how you're using it can can really mean something. It can, it can really not mean something a lot of times too. But leading the team in plus minus is a guy that didn't score any points uh, the last game, and that's Derek White. So when you, when you think of all the things and all the signs pointing towards the Celtics, you know, this is why I still feel very optimistic about I said Celtics in sixth before the series started haven't really wavered you know like they had to get game two you can't go down 0-2 obviously against the defending champs with with home court that's just that's a that's a poor recipe that's a poor equation you don't want to see how the math turns out with that but you know despite the split which isn't ideal like I, I this and this is why I felt this way when I left the garden game one and I saw all this panic and I, I felt like people weren't maybe even watching the same game that I was watching. I was, I was confused. Everything felt very correctable and we'll see how game three plays out, but it feels like in game two, we saw a lot more of the Boston of the 2022 Boston Celtics, as opposed to the 2021 Boston Celtics that we got in game one. How do you feel about Derek White's performance in game two? I mean, like I said, like with Derek White, you know, we've defended him quite a bit on this podcast because he does a lot of the little things he does. He he keeps the one of the, the biggest things he does, especially in the absence of Marcus Smart, is he keeps the defense at a at a certain level. Right. Like they without the defensive player of the year, the Bucks scored, I think, 86 points in a playoff game. Like, think about that for a second. You removed the defensive player of the year. And you still held one of the best teams in the NBA to under 90 points in the second round of the playoffs. And they have Giannis like that's pretty impressive. Like I know it's only one game, but that's part of what Derek White does. We've talked to him before. He's a stabilizer and an accentuator. However, if Marcus Smart's injury, and like I said earlier, it seems like he's on track to come back game three. You know, it's I, I don't really know the with a quad contusion. I don't know how much that lingers. If that's just you need a little bit of rest and you're good. I, I I don't know the you know the way that that will play out. And so I think 
his production in game two, if Marcus Smart is going to be out longer or he's going to clearly, when he comes back, it's not going to look like the Marcus Smart that we know, I think it could start to become a concern because he certainly needs to pick up more of that slack. But if the team's healthy, I'm I'm not going to be overly worried about it because I still think he does a lot of the little things. But if his role is to increase with Marcus Smart being out, I do think it is something to keep an eye on and something that does start to become more concerning. And you saw it a little bit in the fourth quarter, right, where the the Bucks put Giannis in that rover role on Derek White and started to ignore him for parts of it. And that was part of how they got to come back. And then Ime had to counter and bring back in Peyton Pritchard so that they couldn't just ignore somebody off the ball like they had started to try and do with Derek White. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. But in the long run, if Marcus Smart's coming back, I'm not worried about it. Yeah, I feel like I saw a lot of negativity towards White after game two. You know, and I'm like, the dude drives and dishes consistently. He, he makes fast reads. Like, that's the most important thing for me. Everything's quick. He doesn't like, you know, to sound. And he takes smart. He doesn't, he doesn't hit his shots, but he never takes bad shots, which I do think is an important thing to call yeah. out. Like, obviously, obviously, in a perfect world, he would hit a few more shots. Let's just be real. Like, you of know what course. I mean? Like, of course, we want him to hit the shots. But, you know, when you have to take out Marcus Smart for, for Derek White and like, you know, Marcus Smart's going to shoot 11 to 13 times. And he's gotten pretty good about like taking taking shots that he should be taking. But, you know, Derek White didn't come in and say, all right, I got to go shoot. 12 times now to to make up for that he shot the ball four or five times and he took all the right shots took him within the within the motion of the offense took over within the flow of the offense like you said he was still penetrating was still dishing was still making those quick decisions so i do think there is something to be said for that even when the results don't match up with the decision process yeah like you know at the risk of sounding too english there's no dilly dallying yeah, yeah, you know, I like I mean, that. Ev- everything's quick, man. Everything's quick. We're smart. I've got the quote. Well, I've got part of a quote from what he said in his presser yesterday. Uh, there's a strong likelihood that I should be back for the game three. Like I said, we're dealing with the last part of it, the injury, and that's getting the restriction off the knee so and, and off the joint so that I can bend it. Once that's out of the way, I should be back to myself because everything else is healing up the right way, and that's the last part. Just got to deal with it. So, you know, this was after he'd said that this was a re-aggravation of the thigh injury he had earlier in the season you know just you know right above the knee just sore you know like i think what happened is someone land on it need him or like he i think he got knee in it I, it, it was it yeah. was in traffic down low so i'm not 100 percent sure but it felt like it would have been like a knee to the thigh or something i've like took that. lots of knees to the thighs over my years with your of, combat battle right yeah like you know it's a completely legal thing in mm-hmm. like in, in muay thai and stuff so i've been knee to the thighs a bunch and that stuff's not, not like that stuff hurts a lot yeah, so, I don't want yeah, that and I, pain. And I didn't do it at full speed. You know, I was standing <laughs> stationary at the time. So, I could, like, you know, and everyone's clashing knees playing basketball. You know, you cross someone over, bring it back, and then try and t- change direction. Boom, you clash knees. Oh, it hurts, dude. So, I, I completely understand why he was in, like why he was held out. And I do think that him coming back is going to be a big boost, not only to the defense, but to that ball movement. And obviously, an extra guy that's shooting quite respectably in the postseason from deep. So, yeah, I get it. I also feel like, you know, people got to give Derek White his flowers for what he's doing well rather than trying to pull him down for what he's doing like poorly, which is shooting. Yeah, and and I mean, like I said, if if Marcus ends up not being, you know, full go and, he, and Derek White is going to play, you know, a larger role than what, what currently he's being asked to do. Yeah, it could be concerning. But I but I think for right now, like, it's really hard to nitpick a 23-point win and then look at a yeah. guy and say, hey, 
you know, your your play was really troubling in this game, especially when he was plus, I mean, he's plus 22, like I said, plus minus is, is very misleading, but he's plus seven overall for the series, which leads the entire Celtics team. So, you know, like it, like it, it does kind of in a way highlight that he is still contributing every time he's on the court, even if it's not in the traditional way that I think is, is a lot easier to decipher. Yeah, I mean, it's just so much easier to contextualize offensive output than what it is to contextualize defensive output or systematic output because you know the box score and the tracking stats don't really value that stuff like at a base level and you know my advanced, you know my feelings on advanced analytics mm-hmm. i've spoken about them before so I, I get it i can understand why certain sections of the fan base are a bit frustrated but i i'm me personally i'm very happy with what he's providing and so then let, me, feel- let me ask you this adam so so where are you at we're going into game three right now where are you at for for this road trip to Milwaukee? What what do you think is gonna is gonna be the result of this road trip? I'm expecting another split, to be honest. I'm with I'm you. Ex- I'm expecting in my head the Celtics lose game three, win game four. I see. I think I think it's flip, but I but I but I think it's the same thing. I think for me, you know, the the way that I think about it is this game. I think this series is going to go back and forth for a little bit. Like I think now that the Celtics lost game one. I think there's a pretty decent chance this ends up going seven. And kind of the way the karma basketball gods work, I think it's going to play a big role that that game seven is in Boston and not in Milwaukee because of the results of that final final day of the regular season. You know, when you think about Milwaukee, sat back and was like, all right. Boston, you're going to take your pick. Are you going to go to Toronto or are you going to, you know, play, uh, play Brooklyn? What's, what's your choice? You know, and they sat back and, and took kind of a, took kind of a back seat the last day of the season and gave us the, you know, the, the opening to pick up that two seed. So I think there's a decent chance, but I think for me, the Celtics get game three and then anytime one, one of these teams falls behind, even by a game, I think you're going to see that desperation. And the team that is naturally more desperate with, you know, not that great a difference in, in overall talent, I think that's where the teams that you're going to see, you know, overcome in each of those scenarios. So I, I think for me, Celtics get game three, and then the Bucks, in desperate need of a, of a win, get game four. And I think, like, you know, and I'm cool with saying they win game three, lose game four, or lose game three, win game four. Either way, I think it comes back to Boston tied at 2 2. And then it's whether or not the Celtics can handle their business over the next couple of games. Uh, Like you said, though, you know, game seven in the garden, I feel like that's such a huge advantage to Boston that I I, I just, at the moment, I can't accept anyone telling me that the the Bucs are going to win this series. I just, physically, I'm just like, nah, dude. I know, and that's that, and that's honestly, like I said, that's how I felt when I left game one and they won. You know, I was like, yeah. okay, the, the Celtics played, they didn't play like themselves. That's that's just straight up the the truth. Like they didn't they didn't play like themselves, and so as long as they came back out and reaffirmed, like okay, that was a blip on the screen. Maybe we got a little bit of ahead of ourselves. Like oh hey, we just took out the quote unquote big bad Nets. Like this is this is going to be easier than we thought. Nope, it's not going to be. These are the defending yeah, champs. This is they're they're going to punch you in the mouth. And they have Giannis. You know he he's he you can't bully him the way that, that or you can't physical him the way that you did Kevin Durant. There's a whole new game, whole new series. And but at the end of the day, like you said, it's it is a little bit similar to that net series where I don't know how many answers the the Bucks are gonna have to fill that void of Chris Milton because he is kind of their their changeup. He is their their game changer, someone that gives them another level 
both offensively and defensively to a certain degree with his length, you know, because he is, he is very long. He's a solid defender. He's not going to be the level of Giannis and, and Drew Holiday, but he's a very solid defender. And then offensively, he just changes the entire parameters of what their offense can be. And so without him, Drew Holiday's played great in these first two games. He's gone from a guy that's typically, you know, probably somewhere in that 18 to 20. You usually go ahead and pencil in. He's been about 24, 25 each of these first couple of games. So he's certainly stepped up. But where, where is that? Where, where's the rest of that coming from? You're yeah. still going to put all that pressure on Giannis to get the ball out of his hands. And, and you know, Giannis has to be otherworldly. And it, it's, it, he's still amazing. But it's a lot tougher when you have the way Grant's playing, the way Al's playing, and then you have Rob coming from left or right. You have Jason Tatum lurking. Jason Tatum, by the way, and Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown's second in the in the entire playoffs and steals JT third. So you've got these two long wings that are just ranging around looking for Giannis to put the ball on the floor so they can go ahead and pick his pocket. He had six turnovers last game. So it, it's just a really difficult recipe for the Bucks, in my opinion, other than Giannis just saying – I don't care about what Will and Adam have to say or any of these other, you know, blog boys. Like, I'm Giannis, and he goes and does something that that you can't explain other than just tip your cap and say they have Giannis. We don't. That was the difference. And I will say this to end the show. One, they. I'll start that again. One, Jason Tatum showed that he can adjust his own game because after they basically shut him down for the majority of the third. He all of a sudden went into some Steph Curry version relocations and got a few quick frees. Never really seen that before from JT. Two, please never, ever, ever, and this isn't you, this is the listeners, never, ever, 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 ever refer to me as a black boy. I find it very, uh, <laughs> I find it very um, insulting, and I don't know why, but I did. And we, <laughs> well, I was, I, was, I was searching for a way not, to like talk about. No, yeah, no, no, no. You, you said I didn't it was say reflective. It. Yeah, exactly. I was trying to think of the best way to just say, like, you know, I, every time I start on one of those things where you could say, like, multiple, I start thinking of the, at, that. Um, the best way, yeah. Yeah, so I think of the best way to say it, and then I instantly go to kind of that Suge Knight clip of, like, the, the Source Awards where he's like, yeah. all your little producers dancing in the background. Yeah. All your, you know what I'm saying? Like, and so I started thinking of, of it in that way, but I wasn't come sure to how to, like, row. get to. Yeah, come to yeah. death row. Exactly. Now, exactly. Like, I don't mind it being said as a collective. I just didn't want anyone to be like, so that's what we classify these people as. Adam, you're black boy. I'm be like, no. No, bro, don't do that. It's on, it's on your taxes. Occupation, yeah. blog boy. <laughs> yeah, no, dude. No, no, no. I put far too much work in to be, no, to be called a blog boy. I find it so insulting. Uh, not would you say it as a collective, but if you say it as like an, if you refer to me as it as an individual, I'm like, that's insulting. Please don't do that. <laughs> uh, we're going to wrap up here because I've got to go and pick up the kid from school, which means I've got a lot of traffic waiting for me. So, uh, you know, I want to go and sit in traffic and be um, very upset that I'm there. With that, if you've enjoyed the show, please make sure you like, subscribe. Um, if you're not subscribing, you can follow the show. depends what app you're using. Share it on social media. The more you share it, the better it looks for us if we share it we're supposed to. Make sure you tell your Uber driver, your carpool people, um, whoever washes your pool, whoever's selling you jerseys, whoever's buying sneakers from you, if you're a reseller. Um, I don't know. Whatever you're doing, there's going to be someone there that's a basketball fan, a Celtics fan. We, we're seeing a huge growth at the moment. We definitely want to keep that going. So please, please, please share it as much as you can. And real quick, Adam, for those of you that are listening right now, Game 3, you're looking for a place to watch it. You're not sure how you want to watch it. Come join us on Playback. Myself, Greg, I think Adam's going to try and be there for maybe the second half or so. I know you have I'm a, try. I don't another know commitment. 
So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be hosting another virtual watch party on playback. If you go to my Twitter handle at Wilbon13, you go to Greg's at Mini Minnow, or you go to our collective at Green MV Pod uh, Twitter account or Instagram account, you will find the link for that. Go ahead and sign up. It's super easy. It's a lot of fun. Um, come join us and hang out for Game Three. Peace out, everybody.